0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz
1: every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
2: From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, uh, welcome to the latest moment of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're going to have a fantastic hour and a fantastic show. Why? If you're watching Fox Nation, you can tell. It's uh, the day before the launch. We're privileged to have with us the former Secretary of State, Congressman from Kansas, and CIA Director Mike Pompeo in studio. West Point grad has already served the country, Phoenix number one in his class, and defines himself as a grinder, right? <laughs> in other words, you, you'll outwork anyone.
4: Yeah, Correct. Brian. Brian, thanks for having me on. Um, it's been great fun to write this book. We we called it "Never Give an Inch," uh, because America is worth fighting for. It's the America that we all love. Uh, yeah, I've, I've always, my life been taught. If it, you you may not be the smartest person, you may not be the best looking person, uh, but if you outwork them, if you're prepared to stay focused on the mission, you can get a lot accomplished. And we did that for four years.
3: So just uh, leading up to 2016, you know, you were for Rubia. You're a congressman from Kansas. Fresh off the Benghazi hearing, which. Uh, you didn't like the final outcome. Uh, I didn't, what I I didn't went like into. the outcome.
4: She had classified documents. We're back in the classified document, right? Here's Hillary Clinton, former Secretary of State, got high-level classified documents on her server in New York, on her BlackBerry. Nothing happens.
3: When you started investigating Benghazi because the Secretary of State, obviously, there was something wrong there that allowed our guys to get killed and our embassy to be uh, overrun. We still haven't gotten to the bottom of it. And a lot of people say, well, I watched over the weekend uh, Senator Dick Durbin come out and say, well, you know, these Republicans tend to overshoot, hence Benghazi. <laughs> tell us about that process, because I think that you didn't like the final report that was out either. I, right? I didn't
4: like the final report. Um, actually, the final report was OK, but it didn't tell the full story. So Jim Jordan and I wrote a separate report. You can go see it. Uh, and I write about this in my book. We, we wanted to make sure the American people knew that there didn't have to be the case that there was an American ambassador killed in Libya and that we might have saved a couple of other lives. There were four men killed that day in Benghazi, Libya. I served on that committee, and Jim and I, Jim Jordan and I, worked diligently to get all the facts for the American people so they could lay out crystal clear what America could have done to preserve its own interests. And, you know, Brian, it comes back uh, to my time as Secretary of State, right? She was a Secretary of State, and then I, who would have dreamed when I'm on the Benghazi committee, I'd become Secretary of State? And in the book, I talk about how every day I thought about making sure my officers in the field who were on, freedom's frontier, were as safe and secure as I could make them. Even though we were going to take on risk, uh, I I was determined not to let something like that happen again, and it didn't.
3: We still don't have all the answers, right?
4: No, still don't have all the answers precisely what happened, but we've got a pretty good picture of how Washington dawdled while the folks on the ground in Benghazi, Libya, were fighting for their very lives. The movie 13 Hours talks about for half a day, uh, Washington, D.C., just kind of hung out, kind of thought it was over. And these guys were fighting for their lives on the rooftops of a – uh, a CIA annex. Uh, that's just unacceptable. When Washington fails our leaders.
3: You end up, when you become Secretary of State, you tried to talk to as many people as possible. One of the people that you called who picked up was Hillary Clinton. <laughs> she did. She, she gave you good call. advice, right?
4: Uh, she gave me good advice. Uh, and, and she was very generous that day. She was kind. Every All of the former secretaries were kind, uh, trying to help me uh, think about how to be successful. So I, I appreciate the fact that in that moment, at least, uh, everyone came together around something that's bigger than any of us, and that's the country. And I'm not
3: sure what the point of the investigation was at that time, but she was at the center of the Russian ruse that really plagued the first two and a half years of, your, of the job that you were doing internationally, made everyone seem as though this guy was going to be impeached and you're going to be uh, disempowered, made it harder. CIA director made it harder. The public distrust grew on something that happened because of her.
4: All of that is very true, and I knew some of that when I was talking to her. I didn't know all of it at that point in time. I didn't know the whole history of that dossier at that point in time. Uh, But make no mistake about it, Uh, and and I I write about this in Never Give an Inch. On January 6th, everybody talks about January 6th. I write about January 6th, 2017. January 6th, 2017. January 6th, 2017, I get a call that says, come to Trump Tower. There's going to be a meeting. That meeting, Jim Comey. Head of the FBI, uh, John Brennan, head of CIA, and Jim Clapper, head of the DNI, basically tell President Trump uh, he's a Russian asset based on this steel dossier and a few other little tidbits of information. We, we of course know they're wrong about that. I, I, I knew it at the time, but we could begin to see, and it, it, it hurt our ability to secure America. It made it harder for the Trump administration the Trump, to do uh, our job. The
3: president elect,
4: the, he was a president elect at this time. This was a couple of weeks before the. Uh, and what the do you think he was an what are you sitting there? Was Look, it... I, I'm a. Congressman from Kansas at this point. I'm not even the CIA director. On the I'm intelligence committee, I'm the nominee. I'm on the intelligence committee. I was actually brought up there because I had a clearance. I was one of the few people that could actually go read the high-end TS level, top-secret level report that they were going to told us they were going to have the took president. It home. So I went and read it, and then I took it on. When I became CIA director, I took this on. I tried to get to the bottom of it. And as I write in the book, uh, you you can see that John Brennan had deeply politicized the analytical process. The analysts had actually done their work. But he bypassed the normal analytic process to get to the outcome he was looking for.
3: And would it, do you think that Comey really believed uh, the dossier, that really believed this information, that, that Trump had sold out because of some crazy relationship he had in business? It
4: seems unimaginable to me. We know pretty early on they came to know it wasn't true. They came to know that there were connections, that there were folks working inside the FBI who were connected to Elia's. And the Clinton-, Clinton campaign, they came to know that. Any, anybody, any senior FBI official would have known danger, 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 and yet they pushed on. And Adam Schiff goes out and tells his story to the public for a year and a half. He says there's more coming. Of course, we all know now nothing ever came. He told the story knowing it was false, and that is, that is despicable. I'm glad that McCarthy has taken him off the committee.
3: I mean, it's unbelievable he's getting a pass on this. He also just lied about Trump's taxes. You're not going to believe what's in his taxes. There's nothing in his taxes that people can understand. They're more complicated than we can imagine. But for people in real estate, high-end real estate, they, they say that's exactly what happens. Of course. So I want to bring you to a moment that you are critical of the former president. Uh, and this is the after, – after a meeting in Helsinki, they have a joint press conference, which, by the way, Joe Biden was sure to not do after his meeting. He had him <laughs> by himself, and he still snapped at one reporter. Uh, cut 32.
5: So I have great confidence in my intelligence people, but uh, I will tell you that President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. And what he did is an incredible offer. He offered to have the people working on the case come and work with their investigators with respect to the 12 people. I think that's an incredible offer.
3: And you didn't think so. No,
4: not helpful. The offer was Vladimir Putin at his worst, right, his evil worst. He had, he had no intention of being constructive for the United States of America. He wanted to undermine our democracy, something he's wanted for a long time. And you
3: as in heading the intelligence. And I
4: was a, I was CIA director at the time, and so the president's statement just made life more complicated. Uh, it, it didn't have to be the case that you bought into, and this was, the, this was the two thoughts you had to hold in your head. The Steele dossier and the Russia hoax were exactly that, a hoax but it was also the case that the Intelligence Committee had gotten the analytic piece of this right, that there were Russian bots, that in fact the Russians have tried to influence our election since at least the early 1980s, and President Trump didn't walk that line that day in a way that was useful to us.
3: You said that you got along with the president because you always dealt with him honestly. Did you tell him how you felt?
4: I did. He asked me about it, oh, goodness, a couple of weeks later, and I said, you know, there were so many other answers you could have given, right, in response. He was asked a sharp question, but we've all been at this a long time. The media is trying to do exactly what they did to him that day, and they were trying to create a wedge, frankly, a wedge between me and him, between the intelligence community and him. And unfortunately, he took the bait that day and, and made it harder, made made all of our jobs a little bit more difficult. We should never let the media do that.
3: And you made it clear when he was in the vetting process, when you went to meet him in Trump Tower, he's like, Mike, you're wrong on Russia.
4: Right? <laughs> I think it may have been the first words he ever said to me in you're my life. You're wrong on Russia. I had, I had never you didn't even know him. I had never met President Trump until the moment I walked into his office that morning to to interview the BCI director. And he may have said hello. But I think his first words were, Mike, how come you're so wrong on Russia? And we had a lively conversation about how we ought to proceed on Russia. Then we covered the rest of the world as but well.
3: But he was – there things he was tough on Russia. Do you believe that they invade Ukraine or even threaten Ukraine by, by encircling the country with troops if you guys are there?
4: It never give an inch talks about how we stop this. You, you don't give an inch. You don't talk about minor incursions. Right? You, don't say, you don't say, oh, my gosh, you just, uh, just disrupted America's gasoline pipelines for three days. No problem. We're not going to do anything to you. No, we were incredibly tough. We were respectful. We understood that Vladimir Putin had real power. He had nuclear weapons. But we, we made sure energy prices were low. That hurt his economy. We were the first ones to provide defensive weapon systems to the Ukrainians. People forget this. They think about Russia and Trump. And we provided defensive weapon systems. We had to convince the president that was the right thing to do. But it was at that time. No, I don't think there's any chance that Vladimir Putin would have done this if we were still there. And my best evidence of that is that he didn't. For four from- years, he
3: did not. Right. And do you think if we don't leave Afghanistan the way we did, he doesn't feel as though he has a shot at taking that country? Yeah,
4: I, I think that's exactly right. Those those are deeply connected ideas. Remember, no, there's no doubt President Trump wanted out of Afghanistan. Right. We were I was I tell you how many times I walk in the offices and Mike uh, and I write in the book, Mike, get out of there. And we were we were working our way towards it. We got from 15,000 to a, a little more than 2000 by the time we left. But we didn't do what Biden did. We didn't abandon America's interest there and, leave and get, billions, 13, get 13 millions of Americans dollars. killed, billions of dollars worth of equipment and a debacle on the world stage, which makes America look weak even to this day.
3: You looked at. We had to get our retired guys to still get our people, our, our allies and our citizens out. Retired guys to go into action, spend their empty their bank accounts.
4: Absolutely. And I, by the way, thank you to each of them that did that. It's that took time from their lives. It's an amazing story. Of American heroism, getting these folks out. These weren't folks getting paid; they were doing it because they love a country.
3: All right, um, I want you to uh, some other points in your book. I'll just bring you to one right now. Um, there is no doubt about it. People look at you and and th- as a legitimate presidential contender. If you look at your resume, why not? Number one at West Point, a very consequential congressman who landed on the intelligence committee, did some important investigations. Ted has, has the ear of most conservatives, whether you like it or not. They like you, uh, and then you become the CIA director. And then you become secretary of state. You leave office in both positions unscathed with the respect of all the people on the the Trump loyalists. And you don't hate people that hate Trump. (laughs) Uh, So you did both. So you're a legitimate contender. So I asked the president about this on our show. Cut 33. How would you handle running against people in your cabinet like Pompeo, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence?
5: Well, many of them have said they would never run if I run. So we'll see whether or not that turns out to be true. I think it would be very disloyal if they did, but that's okay, too.
3: So you, you've heard that before?
4: I have heard that before. Uh, I, I never said I wouldn't run. Uh, all, it doesn't matter who else gets in the race. Susan and I are praying and thinking about whether to get in uh, the race. Uh, and I, in a book, and Never Given you I talk about how you should focus on the things that matter America. It's not about me. It's not about Donald Trump. It's not about any of these other people. It's about can you deliver for America? Uh, and when the president talks about being disloyal, I think he just misunderstands uh the, the loyalty is to your obligation to the country. It's your duty to the nation. Um, I worked for President Trump. I am proud of the work that I did for President Trump. But the focus of my mission every day was to do what he told the American people he would do and deliver for the country. And so, goodness, if you know, if, if there's a big campaign with lots of folks to get in the race, uh, everyone should bring it, make their best arguments, and let the American people sort it
3: all out. Right. Uh, would you would you have to – you'd have to take them on in things that you might have not done before publicly be critical. There's never been a debate amongst people in their own party, Democrat or Republican, where you don't have to go out at each other.
4: It'll, it'll be awkward, uh, but it'll also be enlightening for the American people. They'll get, to, they'll get to see who each of us is. They'll get to see each, who each of the candidates are, and they'll get a really good feel. And I, I think the American people can sort it all out. I, I, have, I have enormous confidence in One
3: that. One thing he said about you he's like, President She hates you.
4: He does hate me. It's the closest I came to ever getting fired, I think, as best I could tell. Because? Ah, oh, goodness. Uh, I think it was about the COVID virus. It was about the COVID virus. The uh, He's at Beginning of 20, um, I was on a phone call with President Trump and President Xi. I'm sure the Chinese foreign minister was on the call, too. The The story is detailed in, in the book, Never Give an Inch. Uh, and she just comes at me full throttle. He says, this guy's saying nasty things about me. Uh, he is going to undermine our relationship. And most importantly, he basically threatened the president, said, if you don't shut Pompeo up— uh, we won't give him, We won't give you the PPE you need, right? the equipment that we needed while people were suffering from COVID. You say COVID. goodbye to the Trade One deal. Yeah, Go goodbye ahead. to the Phase One trade deal. And so phone call ends with she. President calls me back, and it's a quite a funny story. He says, that guy, uh, I, I won't use the adjective on effin. your show, but that guy effing hates you. <laughs> and, uh, I said, yes, Mr. President, I think he does. That's at the
3: top of my resume. Thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. Uh, what are these leaders actually like? What about Kim Jong-un? What about Dennis Rodman? Was he actually <laughs> beneficial in helping uh, disseminate what North Korea is all about? The answer might surprise you. It's all in Mike Pompeo's book. And most importantly, the day before his launch, he chose to come here. Don't move.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: We have
5: lost the last seven out of eight popular votes for president. Seven out of eight Republicans have lost. Something's wrong. And so I think it's time that we bring in a new generation that can bring in more people to our party, that can really talk about the solutions that we need to go. If I run, I'm running against Joe Biden. That's what I'm focused on, because we can't have a second term of Joe Biden.
3: Uh, that is Nikki Haley last week laying the groundwork, what I believe it'll be a run. Mike Pompeo here, there's not a, a conversation that happens where people don't say that Mike Pompeo, like uh, Tim Scott, like Nikki Haley, like Ron DeSantis, uh, like Governor Hutchinson, they don't come up. How do you feel about her philosophy? Is she ready to endorse you? <laughs> because you are a new generation and you are younger.
4: <laughs> uh, I'm a little older than her, I think. I don't know. I'm, uh, uh, I am don't know so much about a new generation. We need to make sure that we get the ideas right it's going to take a determined president. It's a, it's a long march. I saw the State Department, uh, the deep state understates the problem set there. Uh, they, they don't want to do what conservatives want them to do. It's going to take eight years of determined work to fix the Justice Department, the Department of Education, the State Department. It's going to take every bit of that.
3: But can you believe, so you're a conservative, no doubt about it. Uh, forget about what you even did as cabinet secretary in life. But yet if most of the country is in the middle do you think you have to change the message to get more than just conservative Republicans? If you can't get moderates and some Democrats, moderate Democrats, you can't win. Does that mean Mike Pompeo has got to say, OK, I got to do what's going to get me get a win? Nah,
4: you got to stay who you are. And this is what I write about. Never give an inch. You better know who you are when you become president of the United States. That's what I saw up close. Uh, no, you don't have to change a thing. I believe that the philosophy, this we call it conservatism, we call it whatever you want, this philosophy about how America works, our central institutions, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of justice, these basic ideas are, are Judeo-Christian heritage. I think this spans a large piece of the American landscape. Some of them register as Democrats. Some as independents or in my home state uh, – uh, they put a U next to the name, unaffiliated. I think those people understand what's good for America. I, uh, the fact that we didn't have such a good election in November just breaks my heart. It's time to start winning again. And I think these ideas will appeal to a broad c- cross-section so long as we speak to them from our
3: heart. So you didn't have the red wave, barely got the House, and you lost a seat in the Senate. Yep. So what do you learn from that?
4: Uh, you can't look in the rearview mirror, and you can't just tweet. You, you have but you
3: to, do after action reports.
4: You, yeah, the, the the lesson is the candidates who were successful presented an articulate, forward looking vision for what they want for America. This is what I want it to look like, and this is how I'm going to go do it. They didn't just they didn't just bad Joe Biden or their opponent. They talked about if if you elect me, what, here are what, the what, five what I things I'm going to go do. And those folks succeeded. And the folks who said, uh, you know, boy, that well, we got we got we got messed with in the 2020 election, and these folks are bad. If that was just your message. You, you didn't get the voters you Obviously, needed.
3: Obviously, uh, nobody really wants to hear about 2020 anymore, but uh, abortion is big. What's your message on abortion, being that you're so pro-life?
4: Uh, I never waver from my commitment to protecting every unborn baby. Uh, I, I think the American people can come to understand that this this battle will now move to the 50 states. I worked for a good part of my life to get Roe overturned. It was a, an incredibly important day. It was the right day as a constitutional matter and for the unborn uh, we, we'll keep working on this. It's incredibly contentious. But, 46, uh,
3: but, but I, 40% of the country believe, agrees with you, 60 don't.
4: That's right. But I, I was able, when I ran for Congress in Kansas, uh, there were a lot of folks who would have had a very different view from me on that particular issue, but I was able to talk to them, have thoughtful conversations, and engage them.
3: All right, so the, the uh, former Secretary of State's uh, book is now out. You see Mike Pompeo here for another half hour. Don't move. Never give an inch.
2: information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show
7: that is true that there were people trying to get rid of mike pence off the ticket i also thought it was so naive from some of the political novices uh like jared kushner that i worked with in the white house to, to actually think well let's just get rid of the vice president this whole idea let's just get a woman get a woman get a woman you know who did that one joe biden and look what we got for it. goodness kamala harris
3: so I'm glad Secretary Pompeo has has said this. So, uh, Mr. Secretary Mike Pompeo is here. Never given his name of his book. It's out officially tomorrow. You can order it now, um, Mr. Secretary. Your thoughts about what Kellyanne said? She said there was a move afoot, and you wrote about that to get Mike Pence off the ticket. When was it? How'd you hear about it?
4: Yeah, I, first of all, I, I wasn't involved. It. In, I wasn't doing politics. I wouldn't involve the political process if you'd asked one me. One thing would, you like, Mike Pence. Yeah, and I like Mike Pence. And by the way, it would have been a, a politically a, a, a bad idea. Uh, and as I reflect back on it now, my, my problem and the reason I wrote about this was uh, that one of the challenges we had in the Trump administration: you had people working for President Trump who weren't on the team. I know who were about themselves and they thought they were more important than America. And with respect to Ambassador Haley, that's what I saw that day when Chief Kelly called me and told me that it happened. It's like, oh, my gosh, we've had this problem before. We need everyone putting their oar in the water going the same direction. So for me, this wasn't about politics. This was about mission. This was about delivering on behalf of President Trump and America. And I thought what Ambassador Haley was doing that day just was disconnected from that.
3: So you think she was making the move to be the replacement? She initiated it?
4: I don't have any idea. I don't have any idea. But when you're with the president of the United States and you're the secretary of state or the CA director or an ambassador, you should be spending every second talking about how you're going to deliver on behalf of the – in Ambassador Haley's case, on behalf of America's efforts at the United Nations to be focused on anything else. It's just the wrong approach. You, you have there, – there's so much noise in Washington. Brian, you've seen this. There's so much noise. And this is what I write about in the book. If you give an inch, if you give the media just one inch, they will drive a truck through it. And when you lose focus on mission, that's what happens.
3: See, I I, um, am reading Kushner's book, and I know people are critical of him. I'm not. I think he did an incredible thing, and he thought he was going to be arrested any day because he was wrongly put in the middle of this scandal. Um, I know he had a great respect for you.
4: Yeah, uh, I worked great with Jared.
3: Right, yeah. and, and so people are going back and forth. What I found interesting about your relationship is that for the most part Kelly didn't seem to respect Trump, and coming from the military background, a lot of times. Would you do have military background too? And Esper is another guy with a military background who you graduated with. Yeah, it's because so, of mine. So Esper did not uh, did not respect the president, in my view. Kelly did not respect the president. You like both of them. Did you try to convince them to get aboard and say just understand they're different than you, but he can be effective? Did you try to?
4: Absolutely. I used every tool that I had, everything I knew how to do, all, all of my upbringing from fifth, teaching fifth grade Sunday school to being an assistant manager at Baskin-Robbins. I used everything I had to convince folks nobody's going to agree with their boss on everything. Nobody's going to agree with President Trump on everything. There's no requirement to do that. The requirement is that you execute, make the case, make the argument, and then take the take the president who is the duly elected leader— uh, you know, he got 270 electoral votes. I got zero. And by the way, President Trump would remind me of that from time to time. Right, right. Uh, by the way, appropriately so. Um, and make sure we're executing on his mission. And when I saw some of the others not do that, um, I tried to convince them find a way. You got to find a way forward. Some of them were able to do it. Others just simply couldn't.
3: I'll give you an example. Uh, for example, Marco Rubio. Obviously, he and the president locked horns, got very personal. But he just said the president gave me a, a lot of latitude. He listened. In Venezuela, Cuba, policy, South, South America, he was able to do it. Liz Cheney, a conservative like you, but she couldn't budge. In the beginning, she'd suck it up a little bit. Obviously, there's no greater critic than Liz Cheney of the president of the United States. How did you view it? You Did you see that relationship with you? Uh,
4: you mean with? Uh, Liz Cheney and the president? Yeah, yeah I saw it. She would use you to I, kind of broker? I, I, no, I, I, wasn't in the, I wasn't in the middle of that. Um, look, I'd, I'd known Liz not well, but known her a little bit uh she she had happened to her what happened to a handful of other conservative folks right the bill crystals jennifer Rubens but they 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 popped a gasket about Don, their their mind was blown by donald trump uh the 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 idea that somehow we were working against america right this was they got cut up in the russia hoax theory they got caught up the truth of the matter is we delivered really good outcomes, and that's what i I tried to convince when I was interacting with people on Capitol Hill, whether it was Senator Rubio or Senator Graham or Senator Risch or, or Senator Menendez or whomever, like, help, help us execute this mission. And uh, if, if you can't separate the noise from the signal, if you can't put your helmet on every day and just get after it, then you're in the wrong place.
3: Do you? Uh, so having said all that, uh, let's look at some world leaders. Obviously, you looked at Iran as the main problem in the Middle East, which Saudi Arabia appreciated. Because their rivalry was unveiled when all those communiques came out, for my view, because I'm an outsider. When those communiques came out because of WikiLeaks, you saw the rivalry between Saudi Arabia and Iran right there front and center. So by you being tough on Iran, it helped the relationship with Saudi Arabia uh, and the Sunni community having said that. So you put the screws to them. And I remember General Keene coming in. They have never seen anything like this. I've never seen them so on their heels. Uh, I've never seen them uh, so unable to figure out what the next step was since after the first invasion of Iraq, and you guys took them down right away. So you said we got to get out of this deal, and you get out of this deal. What do you think of where Iran is now as compared to where you left them?
4: Uh, Goodness, if you're the regime in Iran, you feel emboldened uh, because you now know that the United States is going to try and cut a deal with you at almost any cost. Uh, The last time you dealt with folks like this, they sent you a bunch of money on pallets of cash. Uh, Look, they're having problems with their own people uh, as a result of the the destitute poverty that is being uh, inflicted on them because they're looting so much money, the theocracy. But make no mistake about it, Iran was never so isolated as January 20th, 2021, when we left. Uh, They'd gone from $96 billion to $4 billion of foreign exchange reserves. Uh, I spent a lot of time in my book talking about the fact that the foreign policy establishment, the blob, uh, would have never taken a strike on Qasem Soleimani. And yet it was a game changer for America's were place. Were you for in, it? Uh, I, was, I was probably the foremost advocate. I was the one who went down to brief President Trump. Um, I write about this and Never Give an Inch on December 29th of 2019, just before the pandemic. Uh, we'd been talking to him about it. We were about to lose deterrence, Brian. Soleimani was trying to kill Americans, even as I was sitting there in Mar-a-Lago, and we needed to stop it. Uh, And we had in Iraq, in in Iraq. We had we had the tools to do it. Um, We knew that he was traveling from uh, Damascus to excuse me, from Beirut to Damascus, to Baghdad. And the president made the bold decision to allow this strike to go forward. We changed the course of history. And ultimately, that strike, along with a bunch of good work by Secretary Mnuchin, Jared Kushner, me and some on my team. We delivered peaceful relations between four countries and the nation of Israel. Those are all deeply connected ideas.
3: The president let you get aggressive on ISIS. I let you go to to rip the whole caliphate, the idea of a caliphate and the possibility out and take out Soleimani. And because of that, they want to kill you, right? There's a death threat on you. That's right. Uh,
4: You saw me walk in this morning. I've got a big security team. Uh, The Iranians have made clear that they view me as the principal architect of the death of Soleimani and are actively trying to come after me. Uh, There was an unsealed indictment the other day that said there was a bounty on my head for a million dollars. Uh, originally, Brian, my wife thought that was low, uh, but, uh, but you know, uh, I think I, I forgot to take the trash out or something. She, you know, thought maybe a GoFundMe campaign or something. Right? Uh, you, you, so, you, it's it's serious stuff, Brian. But you you have to you have to know that we did the right thing that day. It was a righteous strike. It deterred Iran. Remember, they were firing rockets at our embassy in Iraq. The Iranians were firing rockets at our embassy in Iraq almost every day. We we shut it all down. And sadly, the Biden administration now has uh, is playing footsie with the Iranians again. That is bad news for Israel and for America.
3: So you you tell them and you don't still reveal that you have this thing to make sure Iran didn't have uh, undue influence in these Iraqi elections. And you're briefing Durbin and you're briefing Schiff on this. And Adam Schiff says, you can't do that. And then Dick Durbin says, what would the New York Times say?
4: Uh, it was disgusting. Uh I, I I wrote as much about this as I could in the book. I, the book had to be cleared by the CIA, so I didn't get to tell the whole story here. Uh, but Never Give an Inch outlines the, the deep misunderstanding of America's place in the world. We We weren't trying to undo the Iraqi elections. We were trying to confront the Iranians there who were trying to kill us. And Senator Durbin says something about what would the New York Times say? Like, that's the last thought that's ever crossing my mind. That's so deeply un-American to think about what the New York Times say. What would the parents of those children say, of those soldiers say, if they were killed? That's what concerned me.
3: Yeah. How about the fact that why go into Iraq, have the surge work? Obama throw in the street, ISIS come back, and then with Iraq actually saying we want the U.S.'s help here, why would you abandon them and hand it over to Iran? It makes no sense. It was
4: incomprehensible to me, and it was incomprehensible as a policy matter that we would do that. And then to think, oh, my gosh, we're worried about what the Washington Post and New York Times might say. Uh, it just showed an absence of seriousness about protecting America.
3: Okay, let's talk about uh, NATO. They say, "Well, America's back." The President Biden keeps saying America's back, and look at how united NATO is. But we can't get uh, Germany to send their tank uh, unless we send <laughs> tanks first. Right. So, where do you stand on this? And now there might be permission for Germany to for Poland to send German tanks in. How do you explain this timidity?
4: It, Europe has a long history of undersecuring themselves, and we were tough on Euro- the Europeans. But when we say Europe, I should be more specific: on France and Germany, two big economies capable of spending money on their own defense, and they just for forty years haven't done it. You know, Brian, I, I start the book with some stories about when I was a young soldier. Uh, Uh, There I was, uh, 22 years old, patrolling the East German border, running up and down the border in my M1 tank, which, by the way, as a 22-year-old, there's nothing much more fun than running up and down the border in an M1 tank. Blowing up
0: wooden tanks, I will
4: concede that. Blowing up wooden tanks, uh, there's nothing much more fun than that. But where were the German kids doing that same work? Where were the French kids? Where were the Belgian kids doing that same work? And so when I became CIA director and secretary of state – President Trump and I just kept imploring them, telling the Germans, this will end badly. If you depend on Russian energy for your energy, we don't know how it's going to end. I couldn't have predicted this, but it's going to end badly. And and here it is. And even today, now with the threat of a Russian invasion of all of Europe, the Germans are reluctant to send extra vehicles that they have. It's incomprehensible. Would you
3: send our M1A1? The word is they use jet fuel and they're hard to train people on. That's what you hear. But Secretary of Defense Austin left the meeting with no deal. And we know the Russians are beginning to move offensively through the winter and planning on a big push in the spring.
4: I I would send all the equipment the Ukrainians need. Right now. Right now. Every tool that they need, we should provide them. That includes intelligence, information sharing, things that we know about uh, uh, targets that they can go attack. Every day this goes on, there are more Ukrainian civilians killed. And every day this goes on, the risk that Putin does something even stupider than he's already done that impacts us here at home. It's not just a it's not just a fight in Europe. It's about our lives here in America, and we should move to end this on terms that make sure that this doesn't happen again. Two years, five years, or ten years from now.
3: Well, people just say, well, you know, it's a war we don't have to we uh, we shouldn't be involved in, and it's they're, they're Zelensky leads a corrupt government. Uh, how do we know where our money's going? You've heard the pushback on this, and Republicans yeah, are mostly digging from in, my own party. in the House. yeah, yeah. All right. yeah. And, and they want to—nobody nobody is against an audit. Evidently, Deloitte is auditing, auditing things. So what do you say to Republicans, conservatives like you, who are not thrilled with writing checks with a $32 trillion debt and our border wide open?
4: Uh, th- these are not mutually exclusive ideas. In the Trump administration, we closed our southern border— I write about my role in that as Secretary of State, and in never give an inch. You can close the southern border and deter Putin's aggression. These aren't you can't. It's not like you can do one or the other. And sometimes I hear my Republican friends, good people, say, "Well, we should close our border, but yeah, let's just go do them both." We we have to assist the Ukrainians. They haven't asked for the 82nd Airborne. They didn't ask for a Marine rifle regiment. They just asked for stuff. We should make sure it gets to the right place. Uh, no, one, no one denies that Ukraine has corruption inside the most senior levels of its government. That is all true. But we can provide them with the tools they need to fight and win a war against a, an invasion of Europe by
3: Vladimir Putin. This Wagner group is about 50,000 guys, a lot of them criminals. They are a private contractors, essentially. Uh, They are leading the charge and they are dismissive of the Russian forces who are lightly trained and uh, lightly equipped. Evidently, that mix of forces as a West Point guy that studied goes to war college. What do you think?
4: Yeah, the the Wagner guys present an interesting business proposition uh, for Vladimir Putin. These are uh, paid mercenaries essentially uh, taking the place of the Russian army. Uh, This is not new to me. Uh, We saw Wagner in Syria. Uh, never give an inch. In the book, I tell a story about where the Wagner guys were coming across the Euphrates River. Uh, it was late at night, Washington time, uh, and uh, we killed 300 of them. We deterred them. This is what I think the Biden administration doesn't get. You know, I think they would have said, oh, my gosh, the Russians are coming across. If we attack them, they'll, right. they'll do World War III. There was no World War Three. They knew we were serious, Brian.
3: That's it. And you talk about even our founding fathers knew it's a tough world. It's and a wrote a mean, about the Federalist world. paper. Papers, mean nasty world. And if you don't understand, if you don't fight for that, that's the world we're going to have. We have to fight. That's why we need a strong defense. And that's fundamentally what is Mike Pompeo's core. Uh, it's in never give an inch. Well, a few more minutes with the former Secretary of State in just a moment.
2: Every big name opinion maker eventually makes their way to our microphones because, because Brian asks the tough questions and even some easy ones. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
3: I know you think you've heard it all. You've seen the books, and you saw the administration. You see the hit books and the plus books when it comes to the Trump administration. But never give an inch is totally different. It gives you a perspective as a former CIA director and Secretary of State who never talked to Donald Trump before. He got a call from Mike Pence. And would you consider joining the administration who supported Marco Rubio and the Secretary? Before we get into China, which you think is the number one nemesis of this country, obviously. Uh, the decision to have your son write the forward what is that like i've never seen that before no
4: it's unusual the the book's unusual that way so it's a story about our four years but it's also a story about family and uh, american decency and so uh, my son said oh you're going to write a book i want to do the forward I'm like done uh, my son, you know, uh, he did a lot of good things to keep me going and keep me humble when I was the Secretary of State. So the least I could do is give him a few pages in the book. You do
3: sacrifice for your family because you're never home. Uh, I mean, Thanksgiving, you find yourself in North Korea.
4: Yeah, and the security stuff impacts them too.
3: Dennis Rodman, was he an asset to your North Korea intelligence operation?
4: <laughs> Dennis Rodman was the record holder for time with Chairman Kim before I came along. So he was a help. Yeah, he'd spent a lot of time there. He uh, he he'd spent, he spent was the coach of the North Korean basketball team, if you can imagine all things. And then, remember, the president has a relationship with him because he's on The Apprentice. So, uh, small world.
3: And he said... Talk to him before noon because he's either drunk or high. That's right. Right. <laughs>
4: that's a, uh, that's a, one of the great stories from the book. Right. Uh, yeah. And Fun, th- fun stories. Right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah.
3: So for China in particular, do you believe they purposely inflicted this virus on the world?
4: Yes, I do. Uh, they knew they had a lethal virus on their hands uh, in the fall of 19. So think about this. We, it doesn't really come to the United States until the beginning of 20. So by September, October of 19, they knew they had a Lethal virus that was highly contagious, relatively lethal virus. Uh, and instead of doing the right thing, sharing that with Amer- the world, getting the best scientists in, solving the problem, they put tens of thousands of people on airplanes traveling the world.
3: So, uh, so you don't think they created the virus to do this, but once the virus was created, right. you think they spread it?
4: This leaked from the lab, almost certainly. So that wasn't intentional. But once it was out and they knew what they had, uh, they did nothing to stop its spread.
3: Well, right now they're being killed by their own virus started with a zero COVID policy. It had riots in their streets. We know their economy only grew at 3%. Do you think this is, is this is how they game planned it out?
4: I don't think they thought it all the way through. I think in the moment they concluded, uh, we cannot open our books. We can't let the Americans in or the world's best scientists in to see what happened because they will find that this leaked from our lab. And so they said, just go to ground, go dark. They did go dark. And then they put people on airplanes to places like Milan, Italy and Millions of people are dead as a result of that decision.
3: And now they're experiencing something. And now, and now they're experiencing and, and they got the worst vaccine in the world, uh, ineffective, and because they have no immunity, you would argue, uh, they now are, uh, sadly, they are dying because their government could care less about their people. That's
4: right. I take no joy in this, but this is, you, you nailed it, Brian. This is because the leadership in China doesn't care about humans one bit.
3: You gave it a 100%. You grinded this book out. It's of great detail and interest. You're going to love it. It's called Never Give an Inch. Mike Pompeo, congratulations. Thank you, Brian. And thanks for the quality hour. (laughs) Thank you. It was fun to be with you. Yeah, and we'll see you all over the show. See you on Jesse tonight. Thanks.
2: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmead.
3: Hello, welcome to the latest moment of the Brian Kilmead Show. Hope everyone had a fantastic weekend. We got a big hour coming your way. Adam Klotz is here and he did not have a great weekend. <laughs> He's going to explain it why, but it landed him on the cover of the New York Post. And hopefully it's going to be a bigger story. So we put an end to the crime in these new York, or at least approach cracking down on crime in New York City. At the bottom of the hour, Senator John Cornyn. Before we get to Adam, who you know is a meteorologist here at Fox News, let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com.
0: Number three. And we're seeing, by the way, not just South uh, countries from the southern border. Uh, we're seeing countries from all around the world, over 150 countries, coming across our southern border because Joe Biden opened it up.
3: And terrorists, too, uh, at a record rate. Robert, uh, that is Steve Scalise. Border towns uh, about to collapse. Migrant centers, riot in New York City, and dozens of illegals from terror watch lists or NAB. Just the latest form of our broken border. We are all at risk.
8: Number two.
1: What I'm told from people inside the West Wing is that President Biden himself has a relationship with Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, of course, with Chuck Schumer, the Senate Democratic leader. They are in some ways going to try to cut out Speaker Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans. Do you believe this? Bypass McCarthy
3: and the Republican majority. This is the plan in place around Speaker McCarthy to get around him as it relates to the debt ceiling standoff. Mitch McConnell behind it. Is this any way to tackle a $32 trillion debt and convince Americans the GOP deserves more power in D.C.?
1: Number one the current president has lost the high ground on this notion of classified information being where it shouldn't be?
9: Well, of course. When that information is found, it diminishes the stature of any person who is in possession of it. Whether it was a fault of a staffer or attorney, it makes no difference. The elected official bears ultimate responsibility.
3: Senator Dick Durbin being honest, so much worse than we thought. The FBI spends 13 and a half hours scrubbing Joe Biden's house and found at least six more classified documents with so much more things like planners, notes, and schedules also taken. How many more discoveries has Joe saying he won't go for it again in 2024? How many more will it take? Right now he says there's no there there, which is a ridiculous comment when they picked out over 30 classified documents. Adam Klotz is not worried about the documents in the president's Rehoboth home, Delaware, Washington, or his uh, annex uh, in Washington, D.C. as relates to the University of Pennsylvania. Adam, as you know, is a well-known meteorologist here on Fox News. Been around for five years, right now, Adam?
10: Yeah, five years. Five years. I'm a little worried. Don't say I'm not worried. I'm a little worried about that, too. About the documents? (laughs) Yeah, of course I am.
3: But in in relation to what happened to you on Saturday morning. Yeah. So Friday night, you watch the Giant game, and you watch them for three and a half hours. Yeah. You hop on a subway
10: afterwards they got beaten then i got beaten what happened well okay i jumped on the subway it was twelve forty-five is when i got on the subway uh in the upper west side if you're familiar with manhattan heading south down to my neighborhood it's not that long of a train ride and the, the train cars were relatively full i bet there was 30 people on this car so sometimes you think like oh it's late at night it's a sketchy feeling situation that that feeling was not in the air whatsoever uh but I'm on one end of the car, and there's this group of seven, eight teens down there also. And from there, uh, there was an older gentleman sitting kind of across from me, sitting amongst these teens as well. Uh, One of the, the kids lights a joint right across from me, and with his lighter still lit, puts the lighter in the man's hair, and it goes up like a matchbook. It is quick, and this guy's banging out his hair really fast, and all the kids are laughing. And without missing a beat, whoa, you guys can't do that. And then they turn on me, like, you have something to say. I was like, yeah, you can't do that. And then all of a sudden, like, I was the focus of their attention, and it began this standoff that ultimately led to me getting beaten down.
3: More than once, right? How, so, so you got hit initially.
10: Yeah, so the setup was like they clearly were trying to bait me, like, oh, you can't tell me what to do. Do something about it. They wanted me to hit them. I saw this group getting ready to attack if I did anything, and the talk kept going until I caught a left hook, pretty good hook. But – I just sat there. I was very calm as I caught the hook. A dude down from me is like, man, you need to get off this train. And the train started. We got, we're at a stop, and you see everyone moving from one car to the next car, which isn't an unheard of thing here in New York City. It's yeah, you, can, you can walk through it, yeah. Yeah, so everyone moves from one car to the next car. I join them, and we go a whole other stop. And I'm like, that was crazy. I'm trying to catch up what just happened in my mind. And the doors open, and they had all like gathered together, and they just rushed from one car to the next and jumped to me. And before I knew it, I'm getting punched. I'm getting kicked. I end up in a fetal position, and I hear them saying, like, knock this dude out. Put him to sleep. That's what they're saying. Put him to sleep. Put him to sleep, which tells me, like, they want, to, they want me unconscious. And I'm thinking, like, I just need to protect my head because I do not want to be unconscious and let them beat me where I can't right. protect myself. So I'm covering my head. And as a result, my face is pretty cut up. But my body, like, I was really focusing on covering my head. My body, I'm, it's hard to breathe. My knee's swollen. My ribs are bruised.
3: It's unbelievable. And, you know, the swelling is up there, but you, you're above your eyes are all uh, black and blue. I can see you on one side. Your ribs, as you mentioned, your knee is tough for you to walk. And the ends up, someone called 911,
10: right? Yeah, so nobody was doing anything as like, far as physically getting in there to help you. That's
3: unbelievable. Are you disappointed in that?
10: Yeah, I am, but part of me is like, look what happens when you say something. Like, I'm an example. Why if why if you see someone stand up to somebody and then you see what I got for it, why would you want to get that for yourself? You know, you'd like to imagine if you stand up for somebody, the right thing ends up happening, right? But the right thing didn't happen that night. And it doesn't seem like it's going to happen in the justice system. So the right thing isn't happening. Uh, I mean, people were. Someone, you do the right thing. Someone I mean, pulled. Someone pulled the emergency brake, which I'm told like sent some sort of alert somewhere, and they were trying to get police there, and they were calling ambulances. So people were doing things, but they were not physically stepping in to intervene.
3: And these about 18s, uh, fifteen to 17. Yeah. you think? Uh, well, they obviously they're high. Number two is they got three of them, correct?
10: Yeah, they got three of them that night, and. They didn't they didn't even take them in. I mean, I didn't know that. It I took me a day to to know that. They Cop's told they, you? No uh no, po- uh, reporters told me. Reporters who followed the story. The cop who first initially caught them and who was amazing to me, Officer Zapata, he was adamant that we were going to bust these kids. He I mean, I think the actual officers on the streets are trying to do their jobs and he really wanted justice. And it's that next layer, that next level from the DAs or whoever's making these decisions, the government of New York City, who's making it impossible for them to work. So,
3: what's the message? You could do what you want, get away with it, be heroes in your own mutant community, and go do it again.
10: Well, I mean, if that's the message, that's the message these kids are getting, right? That's because, what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. I imagine. I'm going to get a bill for a deductible because I was put in an ambulance and I was taken to the hospital and I had a CAT scan and x-rays and I'm beat up and bruised. So I'm going to have, I'm, it's going to cost me out of my pocket. It's going to cost me physically. And there was not, there's no bail. There's nothing. They just went home. They went home. Like it's going to cost them nothing. Your mom's proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. I just talked to her just, I mean, I've talked to her several times, but I just talked to her again, uh, an hour ago and. She's. She was scared, but I think she's more proud than she is scared.
3: It's just such a great thing you did. I'm so disappointed in the other people for not uh, coming to your aid. And number two, what about the guy who's able to get away? Obviously, his scalp is stored. Uh, yeah, I
10: mean, he was an older gentleman. I wouldn't have expected him to try to do anything. But you don't additional. know where he is right now. You've no, so met. what I was told, I have a detective call me, and he later that night did call 911 and make a report of what happened to him. So they know him, and they know he exists. And so he was fine. He made it home, That's right. it, which is good, you know.
3: Well, it's, Cops came, and they're great, but they're not in the subways. I never see him in the subways. Do you notice? No, no,
10: no. That's Yeah, and exactly. I, they're doing the best. I think the actual individual officers are doing the best that they can, but they're not being placed in a situation. I, it makes no sense to me. I know there was a time in this city where there was a cop at night, at least at night, there were cops in the subways. And, yeah, they're not down there now. The camera's rolling. They do have video. I haven't seen it yet. They have video at the turnstiles, which is, you know, so that's where people are entering and exiting that subway stop. So they tried to bail and there's some video of a couple of them trying to get leave.
3: Adam Klotz is here telling his story. And obviously in New York City, the WABC listeners very familiar with the dangers in this city. Now, crime outside shootings and murders. Thankfully, they're down. Everything else is up. And this is year to year after it was up and big in 21 and big up in 22. And now in 23, we're seeing this is still happening. Adam, where'd you come from
10: before you were in New York
3: City You were in Atlanta,
10: right? I was in Atlanta, but I grew up in Indiana. I was in the Midwest my whole life.
3: So your image of New York City being a wild and out of control, I, when I grew up in, when I was here and we were told, don't go in the city, don't drive in the city, you're going to use your, lose your radio, it's dangerous. If you don't pay the squeegee guys, they're going to get violent with you. But there was a city, this is the safest big city around. Did you feel safe up until last night or Saturday night?
10: I did feel safe. I felt safe. I mean, we there's a narrative and you see these stories every day, but there are so many of us that it's really hard. It seems like it might be hard to come and contact it with yourself other than just reading a headline. But they're becoming so frequent that I think more and more people are seeing it firsthand. And then it's hard to ignore.
3: You know, I got after you appeared, one of the CIA guys said you did a lot of does a lot of international missions. He said, I don't see things getting better from law enforcement. It's going to be people, only groups of people like you that are going to decide that we've had enough and start taking let the criminals begin to fear the people.
10: How wild is it that that the weather guy has to. Stop a group of people from harassing an older man. Like why? Why can't the city? Why can't the city shoulder that burden? Why? Uh, Why is it up to us? Not
3: only do they they miss the crime, but in the aftermath, they get the criminals and can't lock up the criminals, which makes you wonder. Next Friday and Saturday night, who are they going to focus on next? I mean, in in their twisted minds, that was a successful night, I'm sure for them.
10: Yeah, I. I would imagine that they've seen the cover of the New York Post, and they think it's amazing. They're high-fiving each other.
3: When did they find out you were from Fox, or when did the law enforcement find out you were from Fox?
10: I told the individual officer who was with me at the very end of the night, the the officer I talked about, Officer Zapata, and who was super helpful. He stayed with me all the way through the hospital as I got x-rays you're and kidding. everything. That is yeah. awesome. And we just became more and more friendly, and then I just mentioned it in passing. Like, I think this is—you're going to be hearing about that what happened tonight again.
3: Right and I and do you well? I mean, do you think that they might being that you're high profile? Not that that should be the reason, but being you that you're high profile, do you think they're going to feel the pressure to get the other four and to go grab these guys? I they don't know. know their identity, right? They know that they at least took them in and took yeah, their yeah. Name. They
10: know the identity of uh, three of them, but I think they know the identity of a fourth one too that they saw on camera. Uh, I mean, I would hope it's like I'm really torn about that question because I hate the idea that this happens every weekend and no one cares. But, boy, if we could use this to maybe stop it for happening next weekend, that would be great.
3: I'll give you back to Janice Dean, and, you know, she's her books out. So all these uh, seniors that were put back in nursing homes, they didn't have a high-profile spokesperson. Janice Dean used her profile to help all those other people. I mean, and above the fold, I don't think – it's a coincidence perhaps – it's about George Soros and the funding of the permissive DAs with $40 million to make sure they win elections to make sure these criminals do not stay in prison, get out early, and judges have no discretion. So in some way, he is indirectly and directly responsible for the crime, the crime surge in every big city.
10: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
3: you're sharing the cover of the New York Post with him.
10: yeah. It yeah that's a surreal point. Uh, the, and it says the most dangerous man in America, and then it's me feeling like the least dangerous man in America,
3: beaten in blood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <You> right. <know. laughs> you put it in an Instagram post. The first one was you were laughing.
10: I mean, I
3: you would just just say.
10: I mean, what, what I your even now I think it's kind of funny, and like not that this happens to people, but that's really that's like how they would have gotten me if I was suddenly got beaten up and I was scared and in a really serious mood, then, then you would be like, Oh, they, they got you Adam. They won this thing. But no, I, I'm self deprecating. I think it's funny that a bunch of children beat me up. And like, that's the way I, I'm always going to keep smiling and laughing at this stuff.
3: So you would, uh, would you do it again?
10: Yeah, I think I would. And cause I don't, really remember it being a decision i even had to make it was just like you just this is what you do and i don't think if i was in the situation again i would question that i would just do the thing you're supposed to do
3: would you ride the subway again
10: uh i'm not in a rush to ride the subway yeah i think i'll be i really do think i'll be on the subway again you ride the subway right every day yeah
3: i only go two three stops but uh every
10: day this is the thing i think people don't appreciate i mean i know a lot of the listeners do but outside of new york Yes, there's danger on the subway, but most people are real people in New York who just need to get around, and like right. you have to get around the city. Like, what are you gonna do?
3: So people go, well, call an Uber. Okay, fine. But if you're on, if you live in paycheck to paycheck, that person- threw that throws off your budget wholeheartedly. Seventy-five dollars for a cab. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for Ubers, because all the taxes on top of it. So you go, okay, I'm gonna go ahead uh, for three dollars. I'm gonna go uh, ride the subway. I'll get everywhere. You can go all the way to Brooklyn and Queens. It's just a practical thing. It's not a class thing. It's a practical thing. It is practical. The, the, the traffic is so the bad traffic You can't in get the anywhere. City is so bad, yeah. So, listen, uh, Adam, hang in there. Everyone has so much respect that you did that and telling your story. I just want this to be a bigger story because of what you had to go through. Adam Klotz, glad you're okay. Yeah, Battered I'm okay. bruised, but okay. Yeah, I'm okay. All right. And take a week off. I think you can. Okay, deal with I'll that. do that. All right. Yeah. Back in a moment.
2: Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: George Santos is facing multiple investigations for lying about nearly every aspect of his life to make himself appear far more successful than he is, earning him the nickname Instagram. <laughs> of all of George Santos's lies, my favorite was that he was a standout volleyball player for Baruch College. Now, that is a fine thing to be, but an insane thing to pretend to be. <laughs> Like, that's his fantasy? Like It's like asking a kid, what do they want to be when they grow up? And they're like, I don't know, assistant manager at Coles.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. But I will say, uh, SNL, I watched the cold open. Usually the cold open, and they, they just made fun of sports. George Santos doing sports. They went out of, this is, if that was a high school variety show, I go, guys, there's got to be more rehearsal. It's just freaking terrible. Terry Bryant. by the way, this thing of having women play men, is crazy. It's not funny. They have a woman playing Terry Bradshaw. Um, Howie Long, as if we don't know Howie Long was this great football player. They are. "I'm the smart one with glasses." I, I, I was embarrassed for them.
7: But do you think they're doing that as like a political statement, or just that their cast has no bench? That's like the best oh, option no, you, they have.
3: There's always a man to play Terry Bradshaw. I mean, words words. words go grab somebody. I mean. There's writers. The writers are. I mean, Adam Sandler was a writer, right? These guys were all writers first. There's so many writers that you could grab to be a Terry Bradshaw person. Well, you don't necessarily have to look like him. You could just. Uh, I, I just. I was. I, you know what? If it was even remotely funny, it would have probably been used on the NFL today.
7: Because right. I mean, Fox Kate NFL McKinnon Sunday. played men all the time, and that was funny. Right when she played Justin Bieber, when she played Giuliani, like they were funny.
3: Remember? Yeah, they were funny. Yeah. yeah, no doubt about it. I don't know. I, women playing men. I just don't get it. Right, right away. I'm like, okay, you're just looking to put down the guy. Like Sean Spicer, they look to put down Sean Spicer. Oh, always a guy. Just to have people with this whole gender fluidity is playing into that. But it's just a way of like trying to diminish whoever you're about to make fun of. And if they ever would ever occur to them to mock. A Democrat, they might get more than, uh, I guess, a a 2-0. But Senator John Cornyn is next. He's not worried about SNL either. I could not believe it to the horrible shooting out in California. Right away, they're talking about gun control. They did gun control. They did reasonable gun legislation. But, of course, blame the gun, not the psycho 72-year-old.
2: radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: What I'm told from people inside the West Wing is that President Biden himself has a relationship with Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader of course, with Chuck Schumer, the Senate Democratic leader. They are in some ways going to try to cut out speaker kevin mccarthy and the house republicans there's not an appetite among democrats to put spending cuts on the table at all they would like to see a clean debt limit extension and jim Clyburn, one of the top democrats in the house recently told me he could see a scenario where centrist house republicans band together with house democrats for a clean debt limit extension
3: wow think about how titanic that would be and how detrimental would be to the republican party in my view how does Senator John Cornyn feel about that possibility? That was Robert Costa on face, Robert Costa on face, the nation, uh, Senator John Cornyn. Welcome back. I just got to hit it right off the bat. Is that possible? Is that something you would support?
9: No, it's not Brian. And this is a part of the hysteria that uh, the administration is stoking over something that we really aren't going to have to address until next summer. Um and, I think uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema and, and a handful of other Democrats will be more responsible actors. But first, Republicans need to come up with what are what yeah. we're going to ask for. Tr- traditionally, we've asked for structural changes in the spending, whether it's mandatory spending or. Uh, outright savings and discretionary spending, um, things like a balanced budget amendment, um, those sorts of things usually take a ride along with this debt ceiling vote. And so I don't uh, believe that uh, they're going to cut Kevin McCarthy or Republicans out. Uh, they'd like to, but it's not going to happen.
3: Right. Well, but do you see, see Mitch McConnell listening to you? I mean, you're part of leadership, but could he be behind the scenes with his longtime friend Joe Biden doing something I, I, that maybe you don't know about?
9: No, I don't I don't believe there's any secret uh, secret deals. Actually, the last time we had uh, the major spending um deal was I think it was uh well during the, the Obama administration where uh Senator McConnell cut a deal with Joe Biden that basically the Obama administration wouldn't let Biden talk to McConnell again uh yeah. in the future, which was the Budget Control Act, which uh, cut spending, provided a sequestration process which was the probably the single most important thing we've done in recent years in terms of cutting back on spending.
3: Right. But it did hurt. Didn't that also hurt defense?
9: Yeah, that's the the conundrum here. Uh, Democrats know that Republicans uh, believe in a strong national defense, and so they typically will negotiate and ask for um, parity in spending, which, as you can see, just uh, escalates uh, the spending overall. Um, But I think what we need to do is we need to raise the visibility of these issues by having a good old-fashioned debate and maybe you might call it even a fight, over the debt ceiling. And uh, we ought to take this message to the American people and then in the 2024 election uh, claim a mandate for getting spending under control back when we, or when we potentially have the majority of both houses in the White House.
3: What's so interesting, Senator Cornyn, uh, is there's a lot of Republicans, as you know, that do not want to spend any more money on Ukraine. Uh, and they And there's not a Democrat who doesn't. So, things have reversed a little. Is that a leverage opportunity for for the said Rand Pauls of the world, for the um for the some of the other Republicans in the House that full of the Gates and Company? Is there a leverage point, almost a role reversal leverage point?
9: Yeah it's it's, a, it's an interesting point Brian uh, there is bipartisan support for Ukraine defending itself against this Russian invasion I'm a strong supporter of that um but I'm not for wasting money or throwing money at the problem um that's why I support a strong oversight and audit yeah. if necessary of the spending but uh this is this is basically um uh, eliminating or uh, let's say uh, dissipating Russia's ability to commit acts of aggression not only against Ukraine but other NATO partners, and uh, without a loss of one single American life, I think it's I think it's worth what we are paying. But I, I'm not for wasting any money or spending it recklessly.
3: Uh, here's Senator Joe Manchin, and I, by the way, the debt ceiling. You think this is not going to be an issue until June, right? That's right. Okay, but I just want to hear what Joe Manchin said yesterday. Cut twenty-one.
5: In my state of West Virginia, 60% of the people that are retired right now live with Social Security and Medicare. It's scared the bejesus out of them thinking they're going to be their cuts on the line or you're going to you know, decimate those two. That's not going to happen. Take that off the board right now and look at ways that we have wasteful spending that we can be held accountable and responsible.
3: Let's see what happens. if he has, he Now he's got to combine with cinema on everything in order to stop because you guys lost a seat. Uh, the Biden document story is so mind-boggling. I really can't figure it out. I still don't know. How uh, what launched his 70-year-old lawyer to go into an office that nobody wanted him to clear out and start looking through documents. And then he goes into a smaller closet and finds the classified documents. According to reports, he calls back to the White House, who called the archives, and the archives department, the archives department they're the ones who called the Department of Justice. And that was just the beginning. Since that time, we found him in his uh, house, we found him in his garage, and then we found him in his beach house so we 're looking at between twenty five and thirty documents. One document could be twenty five pages long. Senator Cornyn, with the high security clearance in which you have intelligence clearance, in which you have. can you wrap your head around what 's taken place over the last three weeks
9: well i can 't understand why anybody would take uh, classified materials outside of a secure setting um, i am I am on the intelligence committee. When we weekly review classified materials, but we do so in a secure facility known as a SCIF. And nobody is authorized to take those materials outside of that secure setting. But, you know, the American people do understand hypocrisy, Brian. And with the Biden administration, the sort of sanctimonious tone that they uh, had uh, involving the Mar-a-Lago raid, um, and then only to have this come back and find that Biden is guilty of perhaps the same sort of thing um, has been at l- least embarrassing, but um, I think demonstrates the extent to which people have gotten, frankly, too laxadaisical with some of our nation's most important classified or secret information that we don't want publicized to our adversaries. Um, so this is a this is a serious problem, and they they still haven't figured a way or how to how to deal with it.
3: Uh, they haven't. And I was stunned by how many people have been condemning of him, except for Chris Coons. Listen to this. Cut to.
0: I do think this was inadvertent. The whole point of having a special counsel is to ensure that and to give the American people confidence in that. Uh, But frankly, Martha, I also don't think this is an issue that's keeping Americans up at night. Uh, I think they're worried about much more day-to-day things like uh, inflation, prices at the pump, prescription drug prices. Right, all which they're responsible for, by the way.
3: Uh, well, the, if, so do you, this is wrong because right now the president's approval rating dropped in Quinnipiac uh, five points. It's now down to 38% approval. 68% said he handled it wrong, and we're still discovering documents. The FBI, with his lawyers looking on, found at least five more documents on Saturday in his beach house. So if you tell me you can't figure out how you get him out of there, some of these dated back to his years in the Senate. Senator Cornyn. And do you think the American people are looking at this as this is not important to me?
9: No, I think, as I said, I think they do understand hypocrisy. And I think uh, the Biden administration's position is, uh, is has been hypocritical. They've, they wanted a two-tiered standard of justice, uh, which unfortunately is all too common here in Washington, D.C., where Democrats uh, – are treated with kid gloves, and they they take uh, they they take it to uh, Republicans who are uh, maybe have done the same sort of thing. But let me be clear: I don't think it's 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 okay for anybody to take classified documents outside of a secure setting. And uh, I don't agree with Senator Coons that this is just some inadvertence. That's the reason why. Merrick Garland did appoint a special counsel to investigate this to look at the circumstances, as well he should, uh, since they, uh, he did appoint one to look into President Trump's uh, use of classified materials as well.
3: And, of course, Senator John Cornyn, our guest. Senator, you were a judge with a big law background. And I just want to ask you this. I find it interesting that they took six documents, but they also took daily planner notes. They took his personal notes. Uh, they took schedules. Does that mean we don't know the contents of any of this? It could be ex right. leader is having an affair, right? Okay, doesn't really mean anything to me. Maybe it could be a leverage point in the future. But do you think as though these notes are letting people to believe this is helping some type of bigger investigation? Do you think they might be looking at some type of theme here that would take them, take surrounding documents to the classified documents? You have so much more experience than I do in this.
9: Well, I think my sense of it is is they want to, they want this story behind them, and so they want to look and, and find you know what's the scope of the problem because the drip, drip, drip uh, of additional stories every day as new documents are being found is obviously uh, very uh, damaging to them uh, from a public perception as well it should be. so uh, but I was shocked to see that the FBI investigated uh, his home for 13 hours. 13 hours um, and uh, and found some of these additional documents. So I'm sure they'd like to get it behind them, but uh, it's mind boggling to me why why President Biden would have uh, secret documents right. dating back to his time in the United States Senate, and some of them stored in his garage next to his car. I mean, these are things that our That's adversaries nice. would love to get their hands on, assuming they still had any intelligence value after all these years. and. Uh, uh, Shame on him for uh, disregarding the, the, the procedures that every senator, every public official knows. Everybody with a security clearance knows that you would have to observe in order to protect the confidentiality of these important documents.
3: Two more big topics as it relates to this. So Devin Nunes, I don't know anything about these attorneys, but evidently Robert some serving the Trump administration, I was like, well, that shows bipartisanship. Listen to what Devin Nunes said on, uh, on, this, on Maria's show on Sunday, Cut 7.
11: Everybody celebrated that there's a special counsel on Biden. And I said, wait a second, of of all the people that work at the DOJ, of all the people that used to work at the DOJ, of all the prosecutors experience that's out there in the United States, of all the lawyers that you could pick, you pick one of the guys who happened to be involved in the cover up and tried to stop the release of the memo that showed this DOJ corruption. In addition, we believe this guy was also involved in actually getting subpoenas on my lawyers, on my staff back in 17 when we were investigating them.
3: And, you know, Devin Nunez came out, everything he said was correct. Did you know Robert Hur has gotten cross uh, with these things uh, across, the GOP, across the GOP like this?
9: I I don't know, Mr. Hur. I've read about him, and I don't know what uh, what Congressman Nunes is is referring to. I don't have any background in that. Um, I do think it's important to have uh, an investigation, and uh, you know we'll continue to press the issue. I'm sure Jim Jordan and the uh, House Republican majority will continue to press the investigation, no matter what the special counsel does. So ultimately, we'll get to the bottom of it. But the reason why special counsel was appointed in the first place is because Merrick Garland, the the attorney general of the United States, admitted that he had a conflict of interest and was required to do so according to uh, Department of Justice rules and regulations. But uh, this is not the end of this. It's just the beginning.
3: So we found 30 this year already 36 names of people on the terror watch list That have crossed the border in 2023. There were some years when they had zero. So that's how bad it's gotten in your state of Texas specifically. Tony Gonzalez weighed in, and his frustration was clear. Cut 28.
8: I met with uh, Secretary
3: Mayorkas a little over a week ago and we sat down and one of the things that I asked him for that Border Patrol agents that I represent have asked me for was get them out of the processing business and get them back into the field so they can stop bad guys. It's important that governing
8: conservatives push the administration to sit down and have a conversation. We can't just throw bombs and, and, and expect changes. We have to force them to have a change.
3: So that's Congressman Tony Gonzalez of Texas, Republican, Well, let me ask some, Senator, you're not a bomb thrower. That's just not the way you operate. What can you do? You're 51-49 down, only uh, 51-49 down in the Senate. You have a president that's totally disinterested in it. And then you have a House with only a five-point advantage. What could be done?
9: Well, we're looking at, at whatever leverage point we can find. But I think the single most important thing that the House can do would be to pass a comprehensive border security bill and one that reforms our asylum system and uh, send it over to the Senate. Um, You know, I'm not optimistic that President Biden will have a sudden epiphany on this and uh, reverse his current policies of open borders, which have resulted not only in millions of people coming to the border and and being admitted to the interior of the United States, but 108,000 Americans dying of drug overdoses for... Illegal drugs coming across the border. But I think this can be an issue that uh, then is one that uh, the Republican nominee in 2024 can run on, Congress can run on. We can get the majority back in both houses and the White House and do something about it.
3: Yeah, I would, I would hope so. Um, or is there any reasonable person that you could just sit across from, put politics aside, and say, do you realize what's going on here? That this never been as bad, and it's directly responsible for you guys. Nothing else. You guys. Is there anybody that could listen to you?
9: Well, I did uh, – with the administration, I'd be hard-pressed to give you a name, but in the Senate, uh, I just recently, as you know, went to the border again with Senator Cinema, uh, Senator Murphy, Senator Coons, and, um, and some of my Republican colleagues. These are serious people who I think were shocked at what they saw, and we're going to try to figure out how do we work with the House on a border security proposal, but one that will – uh, try to uh, deal with this uh, flood of humanity coming across as well as the drugs that the Biden administration just doesn't seem to care about.
3: Right. But you do. Uh, Senator John Cornyn, always great. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Brian. Right, when we come back, we're going to take your calls. one Busy hour. So glad you're here.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: George Santos was described by a fashion expert as being able to get away with his lies for so long because he was well-dressed. This guy is well-dressed? He looks like he's trying to steal clothes by putting them on over what he wore into the store. And uh, not to be a bitch, but can we talk about this look? I mean a blazer over a half zip girl not at my yacht party.
3: He also said he admitted uh is it do you cross dress? He goes no, I was down at uh, I was down in Rio. A guy likes to have a little fun. Excuse me for having a little fun. Okay. Um you know, it's amazing they have George Santos. But you they're desperate to make George Santos the news, but this the document stuff won't allow it.
7: I know, but it was so funny. I will say this, too. Um, Bill Maher did his whole did a whole thing on Santos. I mean, I haven't pulled it up because he just dissects everything and just rips it apart, but there's not, like, a complete joke. It's like you need to listen to the seven minutes. It okay. was very entertaining.
3: Mike, you're in Washington, D.C. Hey, Mike.
7: Hey, Brian. How you doing?
3: Good. What's on your mind?
7: What's on my mind is
5: he was a senator for, you know, since 73, 44 years in office. Yep. He's received millions and millions of documents, yet he only kept the few that deal with Ukraine, Iran, China, and his son's business dealings. That's intentional and deliberate. This isn't accidental. People keep giving the spin that, oh, he, he you know, accidentally kept these documents. No, he moved them from place to place to place. You don't just is, add your old clothes and you garbage when
3: you move. Right, Mike. You
5: keep what you want.
3: I know. That's why it kind of is, don't you find it intriguing? They took notes and planners and things like that, his schedules. I'm like, why would they take that? Why would you take someone's schedule if it doesn't somehow you're trying to line up that with documents and stories and maybe investigations? So no doubt about it. I mean, this stuff moved. He felt he could pull it off. No problem. my sense is they got ahead of the re, uh, the uh, the uh, I wouldn't doubt they got ahead on this on the summer home. They let them come in and maybe find six documents to make them think that it was a thorough investigation that no one touched it. It probably could have been a lot worse.
2: From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade
3: Hi everyone, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show Hope you had a fantastic weekend If you counted on the weather in the Northeast, I know you didn't if you counted on the Giants winning, the Buffalo Bills prevailing, the Jaguars shocking the world, that didn't really happen. The Cowboys prevailing, nope. But it's uh, we're down to the final four. It's going to be two good matchups. Patrick Mahomes, the uh, high sp- ankle sprain is an issue. Uh, the President of the United States can't be too happy. Quinnipiac, 36% approval rating. Besides that, no one really cares about the documents. Yeah, six points since this whole thing broke. Uh, we have uh, Sean Duffy's going to be joining us this hour and the great Brett Bear at the bottom of the hour. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now, with the stories you
0: need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And we're seeing, by the way, not just South uh, countries from the southern border. Uh, we're seeing countries from all around the world, over 150 countries coming across our southern border because Joe Biden opened it up.
3: That is Steve Scalise. Border towns about to collapse. Migrant centers, riot in New York City. Dozens of illegals from terror watch lists are nabbed. How about 36? This month, just the latest from our broken border, and we are all at risk.
1: Number two. What I'm told from people inside the West Wing is that President Biden himself has a relationship with Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, of course, with Chuck Schumer, the Senate Democratic leader. They are in some ways going to try to cut out Speaker Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans. Wow, Robert Costa bypassed McCarthy
3: and the Republican majority. There is a plan going around led by Mitch McConnell and President Biden. Is there any way, is that any way to tackle a $32 trillion debt and convince Americans that the GOP deserves more power in D.C.? I think not.
1: Number one. The current president has lost the high ground on this notion of classified information being where it shouldn't be.
9: Well, of course, when that information is found, it diminishes the stature of any person who is in possession of it. Whether it was a fault of a staffer or attorney, it makes no difference. The elected official bears ultimate responsibility.
3: Senator Dick Durbin, Democrats, so much worse than we thought. The FBI spends 13 plus hours scrubbing Biden's Summer home and found at least six more classified documents and so much more like things like planners, notes and schedules were all taken. How many more discoveries has Joe saying he won't go again in 2024? And what Joe Biden said when he ad lived, there's no there there and I have no regrets. That's the biggest insult. And so just to update you on what happened, I know you probably went out Friday night. I saw the alert on my phone. I said, wait a second. Is this an old alert? I mean, are they just trying to get... Uh, trying to update me. And then sure enough, the Washington Post and New York Times all followed the Fox alert. And they said Friday, the search, voluntary search of his home in Delaware wrapped up about nine, uh, home search at 945, wrapped up about 1030 at night. The FBI searched everything. They got handwritten notes, files, papers, binders, and memorabilia and a to-do list and schedule, many to-do lists and schedules. And they had six documents. What was told to me too is don't think there's six papers. One of the documents could be 25 pages. One could be 80 pages long. Why would you take notes if you didn't want to qualify, my humble opinion, you want to qualify what you took? It enhances what you know. You don't You don't go raid somebody's house and take their daily planner when it talks about, I don't know, the family menu for Christmas. Robert Herr takes over the case February 1st. So this is just the White House attorney's talking with the archives, talking with the Department of Justice, and then they asked the FBI to go in to try to get this over with. Getting worse, no question. Half a dozen new classified documents, 13-hour search, no question. 68 days without telling the American public that you were doing it. And the pre- president, no doubt about it, has something that he can't just dismiss. Keep in mind, too, on the laptop, there is pictures labeled important documents on the Hunter Biden laptop. There's a box labeled important documents and photos that was seen at President Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home, where classified documents were recently found. So you actually had it out there and labeled it, but you didn't discover it on your own. The White House requested the FBI search the and uncover the latest batch. The FBI's batch of documents was the fourth to be found since November. On January 20th, 2023, the FBI executed the planned consensual search of the president's residence. In Wilmington, that according to Joe Fitzpatrick, an assistant U.S. attorney uh, in the Northern North District of Illinois, John Lausch confirmed that and told that to Fox News Sunday. So this is pretty bad. Pretty bad that Martha Raddatz, who teared up when Donald Trump won the election, said this, got one.
1: There's no there there. Those were the president's words this week when he was asked about the classified documents found over the last few months at his Delaware residence and a private office in Washington, D.C. But this morning, it turns out there is even more there than first thought. The search of a sitting president's home dramatically escalates the political fallout if not the legal problems after the White House consistently tried to downplay the significance all week.
3: And they want to go to their plan B. Plan B was no big deal. That blew up. And well, it's not as bad as Trump. Now, every day that goes by, it's actually getting worse. This over the course of decades, at the very least six years when you're vice president. Donald Trump was six months. Then he gave 14 boxes back and they said, we need more. We need to look around and we know what happened back and forth. So I had Jim Trusty on One Nation, my show on Saturday night at eight o'clock Eastern Time, and I just asked him about the comparison back and forth, and to give us some insight on what actually was done, because he represents Donald Trump in this case. Cut eight.
12: The numbers game is kind of a sick joke, too. DOJ refuses to have any transparency with us. They refuse to to let us know which ones of these documents, by their own terms are declassified like things that might have been from crossfire hurricane that are clearly declassified. They won't tell us if they're counting folders, empty cover sheets as documents as opposed to the actual underlying documents. And really, at the end of the day, what matters is the substance and the reasons. You know, what are in these particular documents and -hmm. what are the reasons for having them? And I think there's already a lot of questions about Wilmington, why there'd be Ukrainian or other uh, country-related documents in in a garage next to a nice car.
3: So that's just it. I mean, can you imagine if Donald Trump had it next to his, I don't know, uh, I don't even know if Donald Trump drives a car, but next to his limousine? Where is it? Well, it was in a box in a limousine. That that was there six months. So what they said, and we know the story, is that when it came in, they got the 14 boxes, go, we think we want more. Trump says, I like to hold on to it. So let's go through it. They go through it. He says, while we disseminate your, your point of view, from our point of view, would you do me a favor and lock that, lock it in, uh, that area in which we saw, and they said, yeah, and they put a lock on it, cut nine.
12: Key is the problem with that scenario, Brian. What happens at the end of an administration is a whole bunch of folks, GSA and others, get together and start packing boxes in the White House for the next place. And frankly, it was a very chaotic one in that you had a disputed election and and what turned out to be a one-term presidency instead of four years of PrEP. So a whole bunch of folks pack stuff up, a whole bunch of folks send it down to Mar-a-Lago, which is like a fortress. I mean, nobody's getting into these boxes. Uh, right. and, and so some of it gets left behind. Some of it, frankly, is declassified and personalized by the very fact that he took it with him. And under the Personal record, uh, Presidential Records Act, that's completely fine.
3: Yeah, and now I hope think the whole thing is neutralized. The other thing to get clear on, and I wasn't, that's because I'm not an attorney, but one thing is clear on, we just keep taking their word for it that they voluntarily called in the Department of Justice, voluntarily called in the FBI, voluntarily gave everything up. Andy McCarthy was not having it. He brought this into fray this morning, oh, last night, cut 12.
0: And this business about how they self reported. Go over that. They did that not self report. So the Biden private lawyers find the first batch on November 2nd at the office. They notify not law enforcement, they notify the Biden White House, which notifies not law enforcement, but the National Archives. And this other step is important, too. They were hoping, I think, that the National Archives would just tuck this away. Who notified the Justice Department? It wasn't the top political officials at the National Archives. It was the inspector general whose job is to look for misconduct in the agency and report it to Congress.
3: Very important points, subtleties, looking through it. For example, Carl Rove said, when it comes to the University of Pennsylvania and the millions of dollars they got, they say the Biden Center has never solicited any dollars. Key word is solicit. Did you get them? I mean, I'm looking at some of these numbers. First off, I don't have an answer to this question. Why does China want to finance any college? They want to make sure their people go in. Don't they have better education facilities than us? So you want to make sure your guys get in there, your women get in there? Really? Okay. Uh, By the tune of, listen to this. Just at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, it is amazing how much they have given to the University of Pennsylvania. So, U Penn University took 14 million from unnamed contributors in China and Hong Kong, and 2.4 million from unnamed contributors in Saudi Arabia. The Washington Free Beacon first reported this, and another one million was given to the university by a donor in the Cayman Islands to fund the Penn Wharton China Program. Really, money donated amid the, the presidency. As to sixty-one during the uh, Biden presidency, as to sixty-one million dollar donors have given the university between twenty seventeen and twenty twenty. So sixty-one million dollars. What does China plan on giving, getting for that money? Why are they giving that money in? And you going to tell me there are no documents linked to the Biden Center? We already know on the laptop there was a letter being uh, them soliciting his daughter, his granddaughter to speak in China. On the, on the reasoning being that of her last name, they want influence. So they give it to the University of Pennsylvania, the Biden Center. I'm not going to connect the dots now. I'm just going to leave it out there. Believe me, those dots are going to get connected real quick. Ron Klain is leaving the other big story as uh, chief of staff. Before you say, well, Ron Klain is such an integral part of the Biden administration. Yeah, but is it a good part? Did he actually contribute anything good? He was the chief of staff. He was a big tweeter. We know that. But did he actually do anything to make the country better? Larry Kudlow thinks he is the problem. Cut 31.
8: Ron Klain has allegedly been the mastermind. They called him the prime minister He's been deeply involved in every single policy issue, calling the shots for the most part, going all the way back to 2021. What was Ron Klein's role in the Afghanistan catastrophe? What has Ron Klain's role been in the immigration Mexican border catastrophe? Ron Klain was the guy who said there was no inflation. I mean, he has been a very key figure. And I, I'm just saying, I, I don't know this. I'm just saying it's curious. That with this fifth FBI investigation of the classified documents, all of a sudden Ron Klain uh, is announcing his retirement, if in yeah. fact that's true.
3: And it is true. It came out later. Everything Gary Cudlow said was insightful and right. one 866 The bottom of the hour, Brett Bear. So I got a chance for you guys to talk. I know you have a lot to say, whether it's the docudrama, whether it's the panic at the uh, at the border or 2024. Joe Manchin might be in the running. Now, there's a chance that it'll flame out right away, but worse than Dennis Kucinich or some of these ancillary candidates, Joe Manchin's got too much experience and political savvy to be marginalized. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show, don't move.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
12: Earlier today, the FBI searched President Biden's Delaware home and found six additional Obama-era classified documents. Worse, one of them was Obama's real birth certificate. The Biden classified
6: document scandal and the Trump classified document scandal are very different, but they do share one big thing in common. They both make Hillary Clinton want to blow our brains out. (laughs) have been so funny if they searched biden's garage and he had hillary's server
3: well the thing is what do you mean blow our brains out i mean it's comedy if it's funny but the problem is that hillary clinton was worse than both of them and, and what we don't we'll never know from the benghazi stuff to the blackberry being smashed uh to the bleach bit on the server we'll never know about those tens of thousands of emails so it's the same thing uh and now you can't uh, if you're a Democrat, you can't go after Donald Trump on Mar-a-Lago because it, as soon as you do, it'll bring up memories of what exactly Joe Biden did, and still did, and we're still trying to find out more. Uh, Chris Coons made excuses and said nobody cares about this. That struck Kellyanne Conway uh, on the funny bone. Cut three. Yeah. Someone's
7: got a big problem on their hands. Uh, and when I keep hearing people say, oh, nobody— I heard Chris Coons today. It was very disappointing. The, the senator from Delaware say— Nobody is being kept up at night because of the documents. They are, because if there are sources and methods, national security secrets, anything that's compromising, and it's just the mishandling that is mm-hmm. so irritating to people.
9: It is.
3: And just the fact that he's on 60 Minutes condemning him for that. Uh, Hank, but by the way, does, does, does you really think that he didn't know he had all these documents for years, yet he had no problem looking right into Scott Pelley and saying it's totally irresponsible? Hank listen on WNIS in Virginia Beach. Hey, Hank.
5: Hey, guys. How you doing over there?
3: Good. What's on your mind?
5: Hey, listen, I really do think that the Democrats are the party of projection. Every time they accuse Trump or you know Seems somebody it. that's a, a Republican, it always turns out that they're doing the exact same thing. You know, they went into Mar-a-Lago. They raided it with the FBI agents, and it was all over the news. People were like, oh, my gosh. And then all of a sudden, a couple months later— the exact thing thing happens at Biden's house it's almost like they preempted it so, so good. what it does is just it kind of just sets the tone like well one person did it now it's okay
3: well yeah i, I don't know if they preempted it i still don't get i haven't heard a effective reason for why they went into the office but that's one thing is clear uh so there's going to be an investigation we'll see if people pay attention and if they honor the subpoena so that's going to be uh key if you look at who he's involved with, who took money, who didn't, here's James Comer, chairman of Oversight, now that the Republicans are in the House. Cut 15.
9: Most Americans would be shocked if they saw how many connections the Biden family has to people directly affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party. It's, it's very startling. This has all the patterns of an influence peddling scheme, and it also has the makings of a potential cover-up. I mean, five different locations, at least, who knows what those personal attorneys have been doing. And when you look at all the things that our investigation is, is covering with respect to the influence peddling, there's a lot of connections with the CCP directly to both Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden's uncle Jim and Joe Biden. Right.
3: So this is all could be links. And as, as we played last week. Five minute stories from CNN talking about the brothers, their role and the possible role of Joe Biden as if this is a new revelation. Are they beginning to pile on? Well, if Joe didn't take the stuff, it would be over by now. Cut 17. Devin Nunes on what the Republicans are running into because they want to start investigating but look out, cut 17.
11: There was another news dump, not just the one on Saturday night. There was one on Friday where the DOJ sent Jim Jordan, the chairman of the, of the Judiciary Committee, a letter that basically said, kiss off, we're not going to give you any information. So what they have to do, what the Republicans are going to need to do is immediately subpoena, hold in contempt, and then hopefully recommend to DOJ to prosecute and DOJ w- w- should prosecute. This is what happened to Trump people. Trump affiliated people, Steve Bannon in particular, you know, he was, he was indicted, prosecuted, and a jury convicted him in a matter of minutes. Now, is the DOJ going to prosecute themselves when they don't give this information over to Congress? We shall see.
3: Probably not. Uh, I'm going to talk to Brett Baer about that in just a moment, too. And then we'll take you calls right after that at 1 408 7669. So there's a lot going on today. We'll continue to follow these stories. The president wishes. He had a different lead story. They're trying desperately to do the debt ceiling, trying desperately to find something that Donald Trump did. But right now, nothing is bigger than this story, the drama that keeps on growing. Just when it bottoms out, he comes out.
2: Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Hey, we're back. Uh, Brett Bear is going to be with us in a matter of moments, and I'm going to bring him in in a second. But I just want you to hear some of which was, uh, is going on in the uh, nation's capital. As you know, the House, belongs to, uh, the House belongs to the Republicans, and we know the big battle that they had to get the majority. Uh, and we also know this. One of the big things is not raising the debt ceiling without getting some type of uh, cut in spending. And then we have this reported about the debt ceiling and what's going on behind the scenes. Of course, this is just uh, this is another network talking about what they hear, but I find it very possible. Cut 18.
1: What I'm told from people inside the West Wing is that President Biden himself has a relationship with Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, of course, with Chuck Schumer, the Senate Democratic leader. They are in some ways going to try to cut out speaker Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans. There's not an appetite among Democrats to put spending cuts on the table at all. They would like to see a clean debt limit extension. And Jim Clyburn, one of the top Democrats in the House, recently told me he could see a scenario where centrist House Republicans band together with House Democrats for a clean debt limit extension.
3: Could that possibly be the case? You talk about chaos and disrespect uh, that would be it. Uh, Brett Baer joins us now, Chief Political Anchor for Fox News, Anchor Special Report. Hey, Brett, could you, you, have you heard
5: that scenario before? Uh, yeah, it would cause a lot of angst in the um, inner party. and uh, But, it, yes, it's very possible. You know, in an effort, McConnell would say, to, to save the credit and faith of um of the finance, finances of the country, that he would he would, it would have pushed back into a wall. Um, I don't know if it's come to that as of yet, but uh, that would be an explosive move.
3: It would be an explosive move. But also, isn't this something that's really going to happen in June? Are we talking about this prematurely?
5: In extraordinary measures, and, you know, there's a lot of things Treasury can do. Um, these, as you know, are debts we've already incurred. I mean, so... You got to pay it, uh, but they move things around to be able to do it. But you're right. The deadline deadline is June.
3: So we'll see if that becomes a major story. So, Brad, I'm trying to make heads or tails in this doc, uh, the docudrama, so to speak. And we find out on Friday night there was a 13 hour uh, look into the president's uh, Wilmington home. 945 in the morning, wrapped up at 1030 at night. They leave with files, papers, binders, memorabilia, to do lists, schedules. And uh, FBI said uh, handwritten notes as well as six classified documents. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty significant, wouldn't you think?
5: Yeah, it is. Here's the issue: is that you know all of these guys at one time or another are writing books, and so they take their personal notes with them, and inside the personal notes sometimes are classified conversations. Um, it doesn't necessarily always have to be a folder that says classified or top secret. It can be recollections uh, even. So some of that falls into that category. But the other part are the actual documents that you know are marked. They have paperwork. Uh, and there were some of those as well, we're told. Um, and bottom line is this whole thing about finding just another batch here, another batch there, is really bad politically for the president, who obviously went on 60 Minutes and said, I just don't know how this could happen. <laughs> Um, and it's just a bad look.
3: Uh, yeah. And then we have other things like a, a box labeled important documents and photos was seen on the president's uh, on Hunter's laptop. Uh, and this was this picture was taken in President Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home. So if they're walking out with some documents, you wonder how, many, how much they have. And I'm not saying I know the answers to this. But now uh, the the Rebohoboth house where he stayed over the weekend, evidently that's going to be looked at st- Soon, are we to believe that yeah. he didn't go looking himself to try to? uh Wouldn't it be the natural instinct to try to find out? If there's any other documents here before the FBI comes?
5: Yeah, I mean it, the whole thing doesn't really make any sense. And the fact that he said when his first inclination to talk to the press about it was that my lawyers told me not to ask what <laughs> documents there were. <laughs> well, what is that? I mean, you were the one who got the documents. Why wouldn't you say what, what was it? You know, I could tell you where I, what happened um he maybe he can't maybe you know somebody else packed it up for him but um bottom line is it's it's not not good uh, politically and democrats are now running away in some senses uh for how it's handled and for the president to come out and say i have no regrets uh, maybe not the best messaging.
3: Maybe? That is that is very magnanimous of you. No, yeah. <laughs> no regrets, and there's no there there, except for what's there, uh, which would have between 25 and 30 documents. It was pointed out to me, uh, too. Probably you didn't need this to pointed out to you. This doesn't mean one-pagers. So if I have a document, it could be 50 pages long. It could be five pages long. But it doesn't mean it's a one-pager. That's different than, if, say, like 25 separate documents. It could be really thick documents right
5: yes it could and uh it could you know and the other thing is we don't really know all the topics that this covers um there's reporting that there's Iranian stuff and uh, China um Ukraine uh obviously this intersects with a lot of stuff that's happening policy-wise and also stuff that dealt with the investigation of Hunter Biden and still does so um, we don't have those answers. And the hope is, is that at least the House uh, in their digging in and subpoena power will be able to get that.
3: Right. Andy McCarthy was on last night and pointed out some some misreporting that's going on about the self-reporting. And I want you to hear what he said here. Cut 12.
0: And this business about how they self-reported. Go over that. They we did not self-report. Thing. So the Biden private lawyers find the first batch on November 2nd at the office. They notify not law enforcement. They notify the Biden White House, which notifies not law enforcement, but the National Archives. And this other step is important, too. They were hoping, I think, that the National Archives would just tuck this away. Who notified the Justice Department? It wasn't the top political officials at the National Archives. It was the inspector general whose job is to look for misconduct in the agency and report it to Congress.
5: So that's an important thing. Yeah, it's exactly the opposite uh, when it comes to the former president and uh, what the archives was, you know, doing. I think there there are different in the way they they were handled, but it's it's also now neutralized, and it's hard to see how you go one path and say, you know, one thing, and then the other path with the special counsel going another way. It's also worth pointing out, Brian, that uh, the president's going to Camp David not either Rehoboth or Wilmington coming up.
3: Right. Uh, we got to make some room. He's got any he's I mean, go to the, maybe the house soon.
5: There, but I doubt it.
3: Right. You never know. Uh, so now the other big news about Ron Klain leaving. How much is that, is that a loss for President Biden or is it?
5: Well, he definitely was the guy that made the trains run on time behind the scenes. Uh, and it was very influential and has been with Biden, obviously, for a long, long time. Um Jeff Zients is uh, kind of a decision maker, you know, he was in that COVID role, but um he's played other roles in the Obama administration's of old and um he's seen, you know, on Capitol Hill respectfully and so maybe there's a different interaction with lawmakers. Ron Klain uh, tended to tip his hat towards the progressive wing of the Democratic Party and uh you kind of felt that in some of the policy decisions. President Biden
3: was making. Right. And you want to hear what Larry Kudlow said about him. Cut 31.
8: Ron Klein has allegedly been the mastermind. They called him the prime minister. He's been deeply involved in every single policy issue, calling the shots for the most part, going all the way back to 2021. What was Ron Klain's role in the Afghanistan catastrophe? has Ron Klain's role been in the immigration Mexican border catastrophe? Ron Klain was the guy who said there was no inflation. I mean, he has been a very key figure. And I, I'm just saying, I, I don't know this. I'm just saying it's curious that with this fifth FBI investigation of the classified documents, all of a sudden Ron Klain uh, is announcing his retirement, if in yeah. fact that's true.
3: Do you think it's just coincidence? I mean, we don't know for sure, but the timing is noteworthy.
5: It is noteworthy. I think Klain had said publicly that he was looking after the midterms to make a change, but um and he's been on the record about that before. But maybe this speeds it up, maybe it changes the dynamic, maybe it's time to get right. out before, you know, all of that starts. But uh I think he had talked about transitioning out. It's you know, the usual transition I think President Trump had been through three chiefs of staff at this point, um worth you know, compare and contrast.
3: Right. Uh Well, lastly, sad weekend. Alan Kamizarov passed away at the age of 47, a guy you knew uh, quite well, worked with you from day one, a great writer and producer. Right, Brett?
5: Yeah, yeah, amazing guy. I went to the memorial service this weekend up in East Brunswick, New Jersey, and there was an outpouring of uh, support, not only from Fox, um, but from everybody he touched. So he could barely fit into the, um, the memorial place, and it was it was very touching. And he was a great, great guy, and we're gonna miss him. He was in my year every election night, every major event, uh, and was really good at his job.
3: Well, Brett Baer, uh, thanks so much. We'll, we'll see you on a special report tonight.
5: All right, see you. You got it.
3: 1-866-408-7669. we will wrap up this hour and talk uh, and talk some more about well, everything here. Also, is Joe Manchin running in 2024? You'll hear what he has to say about that.
2: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Hey, welcome back. Just got a few minutes here to uh, a few minutes here to go over uh, to go over a few things, and also take some of your calls. And just got to remind you, if you ever want to, I get a lot of questions like, "Well, how do I get one of your books? How do I get it signed?" If you go to briankilmeade.com, dot com, it'll go to my local bookstore. Even if it's from a book from a while ago, George Washington Secret Six or Thomas Jefferson E Pirates. Andrew Jackson or Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers or uh, a President Freedom Fighter, it'll go come to me and I'll be able to personalize and get it out to you. Um, real quick, let's go to the phones. Joe listening in Virginia. Hey, Joe.
13: Hey, Brian. Great show. Thank you. Hey, I just want to say, I think all of this with the top secret documents, it could be that the Democrats are setting up President Joe Biden on purpose, because nobody wants him to run for president to begin with, would they want to levy a penalty against him saying he's disqualified to run? Rather than have him come out and say, I'm not going to run, because then that would would mean the rest of his presidency, um, they would say even Joe Biden doesn't think he's qualified to run. But if they can come out and say he's disqualified to run for president in 2024, now they can say Donald Trump is disqualified. He did the same thing. I think this whole thing is about getting Donald Trump disqualified to run for president. And the more Republicans that they can have right now pointing the finger at Trump, they're going to say, um, see, even the Republicans, I mean, I'm sorry, pointing the finger at um, Biden, they're going to say, even the Republicans believe that if someone does this crime, they shouldn't be qualified to run for president. What do you
3: think about that? Joe, it's, it's, it's not without substance. People have brought that up, but that's a little bit more sophisticated than I think Democrats can pull off. But I appreciate you thinking this uh, all the way through, because it's not as it appears. Jim, listen on WABC in New York. Hey Jim.
8: Hey Brian. Great show. What I think everybody's missing is what if these documents are just the scraps, the table crumbs left behind that a larger volume of way more serious things walked in Chinese spy hands or whoever's hands, yeah. they paid millions and millions of dollars. This just might be the ah, you know, what I mean, the stuff that nobody wanted. What if the, how, how could we access what Biden has accessed and pulled, and pulled and taken? Because well, I think this just might be the tiny tip of the iceberg that way more serious things walked in in nefarious hands.
3: It's unbelievable if he did do that because you know it's very hard, especially as a senator, to leave any skiff with any type of information. Maybe he's so well connected he was able to do it. I'm not sure. It, it's possible. There's much more there where, for example, you, you clean out Wilmington, but you leave some scraps there. So it looks like, well, we got caught by surprise there. Uh, but they just wanted, they're just they going to go to the other house and they're going to call it a day. I want to see him go to the University of Delaware, too. But I worry that someone's ahead, cleaning stuff out ahead of time, which reminds me, I think there's more to know.
2: More to know. Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com. So
3: let's talk movies. There's a new trailer for the third season of Disney's hit TV show, The Mandalorian. It broke several records within the last 24 hours of dropping during the NFL wild card game. Uh, Mandalorian debut with a whopping 83.5 million views. So a rare good news for Disney. The Mandalorian first debuted in Disney in 2019. Any thoughts on this, Allison? Do you have any kids that want to listen to this? Watch that?
7: I think it's still a little too old for my little ones. But um, I know, uh, I think Pete's a big fan of it, to which he's not here to talk about it.
3: Next, Disney's Avatar The Way of the Water is topped $2 billion at the global box office. Uh, Five other films have hit that metric mark for uh, James Cameron. Star Wars The Force Awakens, Avengers, and Avengers Infinity War. Congratulations. I'm not sure how much it cost. It was long and do. I haven't seen it yet. Has anyone seen it?
7: I actually saw it Friday night, and um, it was really good. I mean, it's it's long, but uh, I got coffee to say three which, hours. It's three hours, and we went to a late showing. But um, as you know, Friday night—that's a lot.
3: I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take some Adderall for that.
7: <laughs> I'm frying. Bad joke. Next, um, yeah. go ahead. Oh no, it was, the, the, it's beautiful. But like you said, for the first one, it is frustrating that the U.S. Marines are the bad guys. Really? Yeah. Which is how the first one was.
3: The Colombian Navy rescued a man from the Domenico who says he survived 24 days adrift in the Caribbean on a sailboat by eating ketchup, garlic powder and seasoned cubes. His name is Elvis Francois and he scrawled the word help in English on the boat's hull, which officials say uh, was key to his rescue. The sailboat was spotted 120 nautical miles northwest of some peninsula and Francois was taken to the port city of Cartagena by a passing container ship. Do you believe any of this?
7: I believe all of it because it's more to know. But my question is, out of all of those condiments, which one uh, would you try to be eating first or last?
3: Uh, That's very interesting. I don't know about garlic powder and ketchup. I wouldn't mix it. I'd save it one for lunch, one for dinner. I would think mustard would be easy to survive.
7: But it's just vinegar. You might get more energy from the sugary ketchup.
3: That's a good point. Next, wings or meatballs? Which Super Bowl food is more popular? Recent poll finds you might want to hold, load up on meatballs this year instead of game day classics like nachos and wings. The meaty bite-sized treats rank. It's the number one football fans are searching for online. Shockingly, pizza isn't even on the list. Meatballs, number one. Number two is chips and salsa, because it's easy. Three, tater tots. Number four, chili. Number five, browning up the top ten, you can also get hummus, nacho, pigs in a blanket, and spinach and or choke dip. Any thoughts? Um how hungry you are right now. I That's know very I mean guac
7: is always a good thing. The tater tots, right, are like up and coming, right? When we were at the event in Jacksonville for W O K V, they had a tater tot truck helping uh, to feed all of the listeners. Remember that?
3: Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Was it really a tater
7: tot? I just thought it was one of the things I don't know. You could tater yeah, tater, I think it was taco or a new. tater tot. They're, they're not new. new, they just
3: haven't hit their stride yet.
7: Yeah, now you can get all the different toppings. There's I feel like they're treated like nachos, except you can get the tater tot.
3: Next, the average American wakes up well-rested only three days a week. The survey of 2,000 people, an average American only gets six hours of sleep on any given night, while a majority aspire to get eight or more. Uh, the study commissioned by Premier Protein and conducted by one poll includes that only were Amer- not only were Americans seldom waking up feeling refreshed, but the average person also struggles to wind down before bed nearly half of the week. The key factor Americans point to is impacting their sleep routine is nutrition. Nearly half, 47 believe their eating habits have an impact on their ability to relax before bed.
7: How People also days, have
3: though? a difficult time relaxing and unwinding before bed when they miss their health goals during the day because they feel bad.
7: They feel bad, maybe they're not tired enough. Yeah. How many days a week do you wake up feeling refreshed?
3: <laughs> How many days a week are there? I don't remember ever. Because on the weekends, I sleep so much, it actually hurts to get up. You're overly you feel tired. It. It's almost like you're hungover. Uh, or I will, maybe you
7: are hungover.
3: I will say this. The Apple Watch
13: doesn't help. It just reminds you. It says all crazy stuff.